We're going to be in Micah 7 tonight. And as you're turning there, let me pray for us. Lord God, we ask that you would shepherd us tonight, Lord God, that you would show us mighty and marvelous things from your word, that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So in my preparation for this devotional, I came across an author that asked this question. What is something that God has seen, has not seen, but you see every day? Think about that for a second. Think about how you'd answer it. And as we get into the text, we're going to see how the text provides an answer to that question. So we're going to be in Micah 7. And the book of Micah is full of warnings of judgments for false worship, along with glimpses of gospel promises, what Romans 1 calls the gospel promised beforehand through his prophets. So in this context, at the end of the book, we find Micah offering a final prayer. I'm going to read verses 14 through 20, and then we're going to dive into verse 18 together. So Micah 7, verses 14 through 20. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent. Like the crawling things of the earth, they shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. So verse 18, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. We're going to look at two primary points from this verse, what we'll call the incomparable and the implications. So first, the incomparable. Who is a God like you? Micah 7 is not the first time this question appears in Scripture. We read in Exodus 15:11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? In Deuteronomy 33:26, it's stated as a fact rather than a question. So there's none like God, O Jeshurun, who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies to his majesty, through the skies in his majesty. Solomon's prayer of dedication for the temple in 1 Kings 8 reads, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you, in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. There are more instances, but one final example comes from Psalm 113, 
where the psalmist says, who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, the princes of his people. He gives the barren women a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. From these examples, we can put together that the one thing that we see every day that God never sees is his equal. He's incomparable. And we need to be reminded of that fact often. Like the Israel Micah was writing to, our hearts are prone to follow after idols. We give ourselves to many things, covetousness, materialism, pleasure, sex, self-reliance, and on and on and on. While the lowercase g gods we create aren't made of wood, they're idols nonetheless. And because of this natural bent towards idolatry, we must ask the question, who is a God like you? We need to check ourselves daily and answer the question God asks in Isaiah 46, 5. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? We could easily spend the rest of our time just looking at this question, considering the nature of the God we serve. He is inexhaustible and incomparable. We can profit greatly by considering who he is and what he is like. I'm going to highlight some of the things about our incomparable, our incomparable God by reading a few entries from a children's book. It's called The Acrostic of God. It's by Jonathan Gibson and Timothy Brindle. The authors are able to put great truths into simple, memorable words that should cause us to reflect and consider our great God. Almighty refers to God as creator. Look up at the stars. Stand in awe of your maker. He's also the sustainer of the whole universe. He came to this earth because he knew we were cursed. Compassionate. God helps us in our suffering. He comforts and forgives. He's such a humble king. When he came down on Sinai, he wanted us to know this. It's the first thing he said about who he is to Moses. Faithful. God will always do what he promised. He cannot lie. He's true. He's honest. He made a special promise called a covenant. To save you from your sins, Jesus took the punishment. Holy. God is completely different from us. He's perfectly pure. He's infinitely just. Because he is holy, he hates and abhors sin. Only faith in Christ makes you holy before him. Omnificent, God made everything. Therefore, he can help you with anything. Omniscient, God knows everything. Therefore, he can teach you anything. Omnipresent, God fills everything. So he's near when you face anything. Omnipotent, God can do anything. From nothing, he created everything. Patience, is God being very slow to anger. He even sent Jesus to save us from our danger. When falsely accused, he waited patiently instead as he trusted his father to raise him from the dead. Indeed, there's no God like our God. 
His incomparable nature isn't hidden. It shows himself, shows itself in what he does. From the passages we read earlier, we see God doing wonders, riding through the heavens to help, keeping covenant, showing steadfast love, raising the poor from the dust, and forgiving sins. Let the nature of God bring you to worship and praise him. We don't carry him around like the idol worshipers that Isaiah wrote about. He is the one that carries us. We could continue to be blessed just considering our incomparable God. But let's shift into our second point, the implications. The implications that arise from God being God cover the whole of scripture. But for the sake of staying on the text, let's keep to what we read in Micah. The primary implication is that God pardons sin and forgives transgression. Our verse reads, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression? Great. God loves to pardon. I love to sin. Let's wrap things up. Call it a day. I'll go home happy. We're forgiven. Eh, can't quite do that. If you notice, I stopped short in the verse. It goes on to say, for the remnant of his inheritance. This is a qualified pardon and forgiveness. It's for those that God has gathered. Micah 2.12 says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. For those that have trusted in the incomparable God by faith and called upon his name, it's to them that Jesus gives the rights to become the children of God. It's to them that this pardon for sin and passing over iniquity applies. So if I'm talking to you and you're not sure you're considered part of this remnant of his inheritance, one that's part of the flock that God has gathered, one that has the right to be called children of God, don't be like the nations in verse 17 and turn in dread to the Lord expecting judgment. Come to him in your fear knowing he's a God who pardons iniquity. As one author put it, study the nature of God. Acquaint yourselves with his attributes, his holiness, power, justice, mercy, and the like. Your souls will never be drawn from sin or driven into a course of true repentance until God becomes your dread. Talk to somebody here. Call upon the name of the Lord. Be saved. There's no time to to repent like the present. Don't delay. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Believer, this pardon and forgiveness is for you, the remnant of his inheritance. In the time we have remaining, let's get into what this means for us. As we continue to read to the end, of our ver- the end of our verse and on through the re- end of the chapter, Micah strings together some encouragements for us. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Because he is incomparable in pardoning and forgiving, we see that he's a merciful, 
compassionate God that destroys our sin and is faithful to the promises he has made to his people. This is indeed good news. The fact that he doesn't retain his anger implies that there must have been anger to not retain. Psalm 7, verses 11 and 12 tell us that God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. God is right to be angry over our sin. God is angry over our sin, and we are full of sin, so where does that leave us? The witness of Scripture is that God's wrath has been willfully taken by Jesus' death on the cross. Romans 3, 21 through 25, Hebrews 2, 17, 1 John 2, 2, and also 1 John 4, 10, all talk about how Christ has made propitiation for his people. R.C. Sproul explains this succinctly by writing, At Calvary, Jesus offered himself as an atoning sacrifice, removing our guilt and turning the Father's wrath away from us, enabling him to be favorable to us again. Jesus has become what Jeremiah 33 calls the Lord, our righteousness. Our sin has been imputed to him. His righteousness has been imputed to us. He has actively fulfilled the law on our behalf, and it can no longer accuse us. Christ took that accusation and gave his fulfillment to us, and the law must be silent. God doesn't retain his anger on the basis of the perfect life of Christ and his willing sacrifice on our behalf. Instead, he delights in steadfast love. Christian, when you've fallen yet again, exploded in anger at your children, lied to your spouse, gossiped, changed the subject when a co-worker asks you if you really believe in hell, or any of a myriad of ways that the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life does its work in our lives. Remind yourself of this truth. God delights in steadfast love. This is his first choice. He doesn't delight in anger. He has compassion and will tread down your iniquities. Hear that. He won't tread you down. He treads down your sin. He will not cast you aside. He will cast your sins into the depths of the sea. He will be true to his promises. When you fail, fall on him. He won't resent your repeated returns to the throne of grace. He delights to show mercy. Richard Sibbs puts it this way. He is more ready to forgive than you to sin. As there is a continual spring of wickedness in you, so there is a greater spring of mercy in God. There's a hymn called Great God of Wonders written by Samuel Davies. Um, if, you, if you get a chance, look it up in the red hymnal. It's, it's there. It has these words in the chorus. Who is a pardoning God like you? And who has grace so rich and free? In Christ, we receive this pardon and this grace. Let it bring us to worship him. Let's pray. Incomparable God, break our lofty thoughts, destroy our pride, remove our self-righteousness, heal us, 
Sanctify us by your spirit on the merit of your son. Bring sinners to repentance. Restore prodigals. Build up the saints. We ask great things of a great God. In Jesus' name, amen.